Last week, as we gathered, we heard a very challenging message from the preacher uh, that wrote this letter to the Hebrews, this message that he wanted to share with that, that house church. And, and so today, I hope you're listening because today is a message of hope. Today is the anchor of hope. And what we discover today, ultimately, is that our hope is not found in us, but our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at that hope that comes to us from the promises that come to us through Jesus Christ, from God our Father. It was quite common in the biblical days to, it was customary to make oaths, to make promises, to, to swear that you were telling the truth. And so oftentimes when we think about that, we can remember in our own lives times when we have done that as well. Um, when people take an oath, they are calling on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. That's what the preacher tells us in verse 16. Do you remember as a child placing your hand over your heart and making the statement um, about your, the truthfulness of your statement by saying, I cross my heart and hope to die. If I'm not telling the truth, I cross my heart and hope to die. Or perhaps you remember in a conversation with a friend where you have uh, said, as God is my witness, I'm telling you the truth. Those are um, opportunities of oath keeping and uh, of, of making a, a statement of swearing to God in terms of your truthfulness. A couple on their wedding day, they recite holy marriage vows. And these vows are spoken not just in front of the assembly of those guests that are gathered, but the marriage vows are also spoken in front of God. And so, as God is my witness in our lives here, in marriage, we make a promise to our spouse, to our loved one. There is also a vow that is often used in a courtroom. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And sometimes we've even made that vow, placing our hands over a Bible as a witness. What we're saying is our witness, our testimony is true. What we are saying is not false. We've not made it up. We're not trying to deceive anyone, especially the court. What we are saying here as a witness is true. So since the beginning of the story of God, humans have made promises. They have sworn by God to one another the truthfulness of their statements. Can you think of the last time that you did take an oath or when you made a promise? Have you kept that oath? Did you honor the promise? 
In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, what we have learned is that it was allowed to take an oath. It was completely appropriate to take an oath. However, when you took an oath, you were required to make the oath only in one name, and that was in the name of Yahweh. So if you were going to testify in front of a court proceeding or in front of a business contract um, in, in the scriptures, you were to take an oath and you were to take it in the name of Yahweh. In Deuteronomy 6.13, it says, You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. You must only use the name of God. To break or to violate an oath made in God's name was a serious offense because, uh, first of all, what it did was it, it, uh, it illuminated your deceitfulness, that you were being untruthful, that you were inauthentic. The second thing that it did, if you violated that oath, was that you defamed the character of God. You're saying that God's character is really not that important for me, and uh, so therefore I can take an oath and not really mean it in God's name. So, as a faithful follower of God, we are called then to, when we, when we make an oath, when we make a promise, we are called to do that in the name of God, trusting in that name. There's a story in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah was one of the minor prophets, and uh, he and his counterpart, Haggai, um, prophesied after the fall of Judah, the southern kingdom, fell in 587-588 BC. Uh, they were taken into uh, exile by the Babylonians. They lived there for a number of years, and eventually the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. The Persians took over uh, control of, of the people of Israel. And, uh, and then along came uh, a king for Persia named Cyrus. And um, Cyrus, uh, decided to release all of the captives from Israel, and he allowed them to return back to their home. It had been decades uh, since they had uh, been taken into exile. So they returned, and Haggai, he spent his few months prophesying to the people that they should rebuild the temple. Now, um, Zechariah had a different message. His message was more in line with their spiritual lives. He, he, was, he was certainly concerned about rebuilding the temple, but his work as a prophet, his call from God was to help the people to rebuild their spiritual lives. And so the way God did this with Zechariah was that he presented him with these different visions, or eight visions altogether. And these visions were God's picture of what Israel should be as they rebuilt it, not just physically, but spiritually. And in one of the visions, um, in Zechariah chapter 5, um, we hear about a vision of a flying scroll. Now scrolls were important because the scrolls uh, represented scripture. That is uh, what the scripture were, was written on. And so um, when you had a scroll, it, uh, it contained importance. And so the message of this particular scroll was not a biblical message, but it was more 
of a message and how to live your life. So on one side of this banner that was flying overhead in Zechariah's vision um, was the story of, uh, of the, the, the image was um, to those who were stealing. And then the second one was to the image of those who were making false uh, vows, taking false oaths. In uh, Zechariah 5, verses 1 through 4, I looked up again and I saw a scroll flying through the air. What do you see, the angel asked. I see a flying scroll, I replied. I wonder if that's where they got the name for the flying nun. Do you remember the old TV show? I saw a flying scroll, Zechariah replied. And it appears to be about 10 feet, uh, 30 feet long and about 15 feet wide. Then he said to me, the scroll contains the curse that is going out over the entire land. One side of the scroll says that those who steal will be banished from the land. The other side says that those who swear falsely will be banished from the land. And that is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. I am sending this curse into the house of every thief and into the house of everyone who swears falsely using my name. And my curse will remain in that house and completely destroy it, even its timbers and stones. So Zechariah's vision was about not fulfilling the law in a sense uh, by stealing, by making false promises, false oaths, and um, that what was given to them, this gift, the land, would be taken away from them. And so it was a reminder to the people that they had a responsibility. They had been given this beautiful gift, this beautiful land, land of milk and honey, and that was all theirs. They did nothing to receive it, to deserve it. God gave it to them as a gift. And what he is saying is, as a response to that gift, live a life of authenticity. Live a life of honesty. Now, it is against this background of oath-taking that the preacher from Hebrews discusses the faithfulness of God's promises. You see, the, the, the corollary that the preacher is making here is that God also is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And what he is saying is that God is not able to swear to the promise by any greater power. Now, you and I are not God, so it's easy for us to testify, to witness to the truth, and to swear that we are speaking the truth by God. But who does God attest to? So God speaks, and his vow is based upon his name. So God verifies his promises, and God's word for us verifies those promises. So when God wanted to let the people know of the trustworthiness of his promise, God spoke to them. The preacher then takes us in verse 13 of our reading today to, uh, to Abraham and to Sarah. In verse 13, uh, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham, since there was no greater one to swear by God, um, to swear by, God took an oath 
in his own name. God took his oath in his own name. Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 22 are presented with an, a challenge and an opportunity. It is God calling Abraham to take his young son Isaac into the land of Moriah, which is, according to the book of Chronicles, the place of Jerusalem where the temple will be built. So he is to take his son there and to sacrifice him. So let's get that image straight in our minds. I know there's a lot of complicated uh, questions behind this story, but uh, we're just going to keep it simple this morning. So Abraham was called by God to take his son to sacrifice him in Moriah on the mountain that God will take him to. That particular place is referred to as Jerusalem. So there's an important sacrifice that is going to take place in Jerusalem. So Abraham takes his son there. They go up the mountain and he takes the wood, he lays the wood out, he binds Isaac to the wood, and he is about ready to make the sacrifice when an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, do not harm the boy. Do not harm the boy. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Abraham and Sarah were faithful to God. Even during this time of testing and suffering. And I, I consider this a time of suffering because I can't imagine any father that would be told by God to do this that could not have been suffering. And we don't know how much they talked, but if that happened today, we certainly would not do that without telling our wives where we were going. If I was Abraham, I wouldn't leave without telling my wife what I was doing. And so Abraham and Sarah are suffering because of this call. The first call they received was to, to leave their homeland and to, to go to a new land, to leave their family behind, to leave their home behind, and to go to a new land. The only problem was that God didn't tell them where that land was at yet. And so they just had to leave, and they had to trust God, that God would show them the way. That challenge had to be difficult enough. And there had to be suffering, leaving family behind. But now, they've been waiting for this son for decades. And now they're to sacrifice him. They were called by God. And they packed up. They followed God's call. And now Abraham and Sarah were challenged again. And they were faithful amidst the challenges, amidst the doubts and the sufferings. And this was their blessing in Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my name, my own name, that I will certainly bless you. Did you hear that, that phrasing? I will 
swear by my own name, God says, that I will bless you. That is where the preacher from the book of Hebrews picks that up to tell the people of Hebrews that what God asked Abraham to do, but let God, God let Abraham not do it, but the very thing that God asked Abraham to do, God would do with his son. God would do it. And so that shows how faithful God is to us. God makes a promise. He takes an oath by his own name to that promise. And he swears to that promise. The preacher in Hebrews tells us that in verse 17. He says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So that promise that we saw in Abraham and Sarah is now being fulfilled by God through his son, Jesus. Now what does that mean for us? It means that God has called us to do some difficult things too. God is calling us to respond to the refugee crisis. We have an opportunity, an invitation from LSS to work with them and with our three partner churches up here in the Northeast Valley to help with the refugees. God is calling us to serve. God is calling us to love. God is calling us to love those who are even different from us, people that think different than us, believe differently than us. We are to love those, even those who have caused us to suffer. We are to love them. And even though people may have abandoned the church, we are not to stop loving. We are not to stop serving the Lord our God. We are not to stop being the church. We are the church. We will not give up. We will not give up because we have hope. Now I know that this time is these times, these days, are becoming very weary for many of you, and you are getting tired. It is just one crisis after another, Afghanistan, and hurricanes, and forest fires, and politics, and virus, and it's like, how much more do I want to hear about this? I am so sick and tired of hearing about this. I get it. You're tired and you're weary. We are all tired and we are all weary. But God is calling us to continue to be faithful in our suffering. Be faithful in your suffering and do the things that you are being called to do. Those things that God calls you to do on behalf of your neighbor, and those things that God calls you to do on behalf of God. Because that, my friends, 
is the only way you are going to have hope. If you think you can just exit and get out and leave it all behind, if you think that's going to bring you hope, I have a big surprise for you. It's not. This is what it says about that hope in verse 18 for today's reading. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. We hold to the hope that lies before us. When we take refuge in God, it's an appropriate image for this time in our lives. When we see so many people from different countries that are politically oppressed, that are seeking refuge, we understand what it means spiritually to seek refuge. When we are tired and weary and lost and broken and we don't know how we can go on one more day, and we ask God, how can we do that? And God's response to us is, you can do this only one way. You can do it by receiving the hope that I will give you. You see, so many times we try to, to fabricate our own hope. We try to find our own hope. And that will not sustain us. The only hope that will sustain you is the hope that comes from outside of you, from above you, that comes from God. As, there, as Abraham and Sarah did, they patiently endured. And therefore, they obtained the promise. The hope that is spoken of is your hope. That hope that comes from God. The image that the preacher here uses is an anchor, an anchor that holds down a ship. And so hope then is an anchor for your soul. It is the anchor that keeps you from drifting out, losing your way. It is the anchor that keeps you connected to the foundation. Hope is an anchor for your soul because it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Now what's interesting is that the preacher here in that verse, verse 19, is telling us that Jesus is your anchor. Jesus is your hope. He said in the Greek, that it's the anchor that enters the inner sanctum of the Holy of Holies of the temple. It is, it is Jesus, then, who enters the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum. So Jesus is the anchor for your soul. And as he enters that Holy of Holies, where only the high priest can go, that is where the sacrifice of atonement is made by the high priest. In verse 20 it says, Jesus has already gone in there into that inner sanctuary for us. He has become our eternal high priest 
in the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is the anchor, and Jesus is the great high priest. And he wants you to have hope. And he wants you to know that all is not lost. That even though there is chaos all around us, you have a foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. And he is your anchor. And he is also your great high priest. In the order of Melchizedek. Now I've been teasing this one for several weeks now. But I'm going to be honest with you. Next Sunday, finally, we're going to get to Melchizedek. And then we'll learn more about what it meant to be the high priest who offers the sacrifice for atoning the sins of all the people. But for today, I want you to have hope. I want you to have Jesus. Receive him. Receive the great high priest. Take the burdens from your back and your shoulders. Unload those burdens and give them to God. And in exchange, Jesus says, he will give us a yoke. A yoke was a symbol of learning. He will give us an opportunity to hear his word and to learn from that word what it means to continue to trust and to serve and to love God, even in the midst of chaos and suffering. Jesus knows your pain. He knows what you're going through. And he is going through it with you. Trust in the anchor of your soul, of your soul.